Welcome to the Expert PK and Newbie Podcast. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Expert PK and Newbie Podcast, the podcast where each week we take a passage of the Bible, we read it together and we discuss it, getting the three different perspectives of the three different people. With me as always, I have Lachlan Miller, our expert. Hello. Morgan Carter, our newbie. Hi. And I'm Joshua Lee, the PK Pastors Kid. How are we all doing? I'm doing well. well I was just discussing with Josh offline that yesterday was a 13-hour workday for me, mm. but that's fairly normal in church world when you're a pastor. You are just make up some time later in the week. Although it was not today that I made it up. Another very busy day today as I prepped a sermon uh, for Sunday and then also prepped my first ever sex talk for youth in two weeks' Ooh, time. wow. Uh, I'm not looking forward to that, but we decided it was time to talk about a very important topic with our teenagers, mm. even if it is unpleasant to prep for. I hope that goes well. That's, yeah, I, don't, <laughs> I have no idea how you could handle that, but... Uh, I'll find out. We'll find out. <laughs> Morgan, how are you? Good. I don't really have much to report. I was saying to you guys, had an earthquake last night here in Melbourne, mm. um, which was something different to spice up the night. <laughs> um our instinct was to run out the front with the dogs, which isn't what you're supposed to do. But, yeah, it was quite scary. Definitely felt it. But mm. yeah, yeah, earthquakes are not a normal part of the no. Australian experience because no. we, we mostly sit in the middle of a tectonic plate. So mm. we're good. But yeah. no, well, something went yeah. wrong down in Melbourne. Well, there you go. Yeah, it was really scary. It was like 20 to midnight and it just woke everyone up and it was stuff was falling off the bookcases. And, yeah, it was scary. But survived. So. You go. You're all good. <laughs> yeah. Josh, how are you? I'm I'm doing well. I had my um, one year anniversary yesterday. Oh, congrats! Thank you. Yeah, so that was really that was really nice. It was a weird mixture of a day where I got to spend it with Alyssa, but also at church, but then also with my siblings, <laughs> <laughs> but then also like you know Alyssa and I we made we like you know we made it made it a day and it was really really nice. So yeah, the um doing well. That was that was a nice milestone to to hit. But mm. yeah, nah, I'm doing well. Nice. Morgan, what chapters are we doing today? Uh, today we're doing chapters 39 to 42 in Genesis. Today's passage comes from the book of Genesis, chapters 39 to 42. These chapters begin shortly after Joseph arrives in Egypt, where his hard work allows him to find favour with Potiphar, before a false accusation by Potiphar's wife leads Joseph to be imprisoned. While in prison, Joseph interprets the dreams of the other prisoners, which eventually leads to him being brought before Pharaoh to interpret Pharaoh's dreams. Pharaoh then gives Joseph administrative control over Egypt to help prepare them for the famine predicted by Pharaoh's dreams. As the famine hits, Joseph's brothers come to Egypt in search for food, but Joseph keeps his identity a secret. So last episode we looked at Joseph, who was the favoured child um, out of the 13 children 12 mm-hmm. 12 sons one daughter and joseph wasn't really treated too well he was a bit happy-go-lucky um he had a couple of dreams thinking sort of stating that he was um going to be higher than everyone else even higher than his parents but his brothers decide to well throw him down a well <laughs> yep. they want to sort of get rid of him kill him but they end up then just selling him off mm. and then later on we uh look at judah and tamar and we get that that story of Judah's 
downfall, but then also his redemption, if you will, the change of character. Yeah, I just think we see the reason for the character change we will begin to see. Yeah. Because Judah, in the first bit of the Joseph story, was the man who suggested selling his own brother into slavery. Mm. But the Judah that we will see later in the Joseph story, actually next episode, will mm. be a changed man. Yeah. And now we're, we're, we're definitely following Joseph at the moment. And we were left on a bit of a cliffhanger because mm. we we, last we heard, Joseph was sold off. Then we moved over to Judah and Tamar. So now we're picking up the story again. Mm. Which is probably why the first verse of chapter 39 is almost exactly the same mm. as the ending of chapter 37. Get us back into, right back into the story. Yeah. Remind us that Joseph has been sold into slavery. He's now serving in Potiphar's household. Yes. Uh, Potiphar purchases Joseph and purchases him as a slave. Mm-hmm. And Potiphar is a captain of the Pharaoh's guard, mm. his royal guard. And Pharaoh is the king of Egypt. And we're now in the land of Egypt here. Yes. We've moved out of the Hebrew land and we're now into the land of Egypt, which is probably important to point out that we've changed locations here. Mm. But despite being in a different land, four times in this chapter, it specifically says the Lord was with Joseph. Mm. And so we get to watch how God is going to use this entire situation for good. Mm. And the Lord is working through Joseph and despite uh, giving blessings to just Joseph because Potiphar is sort of realizing how uh, much the Lord is uh, giving Joseph, he starts to put Joseph in charge of different things. Um, and sort of Joseph becomes quite high, highly respected here um, and mm. God starts to bless Potiphar's household as well, not just Joseph singly. Yeah, basically everything Joseph touches turns to gold. Like he Mm. very quickly goes from an outdoor slave to the head of the household living inside, which is a huge promotion. And I guess that kind of leads to a question I had around why Joseph? Why does he have so much trust in Joseph? Yeah, yeah. The impression we get from the text is just, like I said, everything Joseph touches goes really, really well. And everything Mm. Joseph is involved in, things like Potiphar is enriched. It says Potiphar did not concern himself with anything except the food that he ate. Mm. In other words, he would sit down at dinner time and have to think about what food he wanted to eat. But for the rest of his day, he just knew Joseph was handling everything because everything was going so well. Yeah. And then at the end of verse six, I feel like we've seen something similar. It says Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. So mentioning what he looked like. Yeah. Great pickup. I feel like we've read something like that before in Genesis. (laughs) I can't remember where or who, but. (laughs) It is a fantastic pickup because the only other person in the entire Bible who is called handsome is Joseph's mother, Rachel. And so it's sort of like a, like mother, like son situation, Mm. which is that Mm. Rachel was handsome was well built and so is joseph now it does need to be said that we're not like a better translation is they had a fine figure but we don't know exactly what that means because we do not know what the old testament's version of the ideal body is (laughs) yes we're thinking about it in our 21st century that slash all the cultural norms that we are under on and that's what we think joseph looks like yeah so it doesn't necessarily mean he was big and masculine which is probably our version of having a fine form for a male Mm. but whatever the old testament standard of being a good looking man Mm. that is what joseph was in the same way that his mother was a very fine looking woman Mm. so joseph is being tested at this point as we've seen sort of like 
other characters sort of tested in uh, sort of lust. Um, here, Potiphar's wife is wanting Joseph all to herself. Because mm, he is a fine-looking man. Mm. And and being the uh, wife, the partner to the captain of the guard, it comes to a lo- level of respect and also getting what you want, uh, I, w- I would imagine, and... Joseph is just a slave. If mm. you know, in terms of status, yes, he's highly regarded, but at the end of the day, he is still just a slave, and the household does own him. Mm. But to his credit, refuses it, and also points out, "How could I do such a wicked thing? Mm. It would be a great sin against God." Mm. You know, still holding that in such high regard, and then saying, "Well, this would be a sin against you know my God here," which helps us begin to understand our theology of sin as moral evil against God. Because the more logical way for this story to go is, oh, no, that would be a great moral evil against my master. Mm. But instead, no, he's very specific of, this would be a sin against God himself to act in an immoral way. Mm. He's put, Yeah, yeah, he's putting not just the head of the household, but he's putting it to the, the head of everyone, <laughs> you <Yes>. know. <laughs> but as we see in the story, it sort of doesn't quite work out. It's It goes quite south for Joseph, unfortunately. In this story, is there meant to be kind of, I got a vibe of like temptation. Is there meant to be, he's being tempted? He's definitely being tempted, but we never see even for a moment that he was going to fall for it or give in to the temptation. Mm. Like he effectively has a powerful woman throwing herself at him and he goes, absolutely not, not having a bar of it. In fact, he he flees when he realizes he's in a situation where he's left alone with her, mm. which is the exact the exact thing the New Testament tells us to do when it comes to temptation, which is to flee from it. Mm. And so we see some very Jesus teachings straight from the actions of Joseph here. Yes. Mm. Is there any significance where it says, "See, he has brought among us a Hebrew to laugh at us"? Yeah. So when the wife is concocting her story or her version of events, which as readers of the text we know, are a lie. One of the things that she does is to play into the racial prejudice that would have been against Joseph. Mm. Like the Egyptians were very proud of themselves by for being Egyptian. So anyone who was non-Egyptian, they looked down upon. And so it was very easy to look down upon Joseph because he was a Hebrew. Mm. Mm. Then she also, if you notice just before that, she also starts to partially blame her husband. She's like, this Hebrew man that you, husband, brought into the house Mm. has tried something with me. And so it's really shifting the blame off her. Yeah. And really like that, that cementing that lie and it's like, well, she had no part in any of this Mm. Um, and really throwing anyone sort of vaguely involved (laughs) under the bus. Under the bus hard. Yeah. And, you know, and it's... Joseph unfortunately gets the full brunt of brunt of that and gets put back into jail. Mm. Although, if Joseph really did try something with his master's wife, the appropriate punishment surely should be death. Mm. And so, I think the fact that his master Potiphar only throws him in prison is a sign that either Joseph had gained a lot of respect with Potiphar because. Obviously, Potiphar liked him because he raised him to the head of his household, or at least some part of him doubted his wife's story. He potentially knew what type of woman she was. Mm. Mm. And that's sort of maybe another, it doesn't specifically say, but another another God moment, another mm. Lord moment of protecting Joseph there. Yeah. 
Although that protection is ending up in prison. Yes, yes. You know, lesser of two evils. Yeah. but It's not the ideal way to live. It's not. But the silver lining is alive, Mm. but stuck in jail. Yes. And jail is meant to help remind us that chapter 37 and chapter 39 are super similar. And so at the end of chapter 37, Joseph is in a pit. He's in a cistern. You could almost call it a pit prison Mm. because of a false accusation about him where part of his clothing is used in the false story. Mm. And here in chapter 39, we have the same story where part of his clothing is used to tell a lie about him and he is in prison. This sort of like highlights how powerless Joseph is Mm. and how out of control all of this is. And we could easily just sort of say, well, the control is in the Egyptian people here but i would argue that the the real control here is with god because mm. god's actually providing for for joseph here joseph is just sort of doing what he's told or doing the best he can in that situation but it's god that's providing mm. and is really showing the sort of the true true power and who's actually in control despite joseph being imprisoned sold off as a slave and just mm. having to go with it all which i think is why in verse 21 and 23, it again says that the Lord was with Joseph. Mm. It's We're not meant to miss God in this story. There are some stories we've read in Genesis so far where God is never mentioned by name, but you see his hand at work. In this story, whoever the author is has been like, I don't want there to be the smallest chance that they may miss what God is doing here. And so it keeps explicitly pointing him out in the text. Mm. And so just like in the house, Joseph rises to as high as you could rise within a prison system. (laughs) Being in charge of all the other prisoners. But still being a prisoner. Still being a prisoner. So as we jump into 40, I just want to firstly ask what a cupbearer is. Mm. Yeah, great question. Um, This is someone who is in charge of the royal cellar. So their job was to open and taste the wine before serving it to Pharaoh. And this was twofold. This was firstly to make sure that the wine he was serving was of top quality. And secondly, it was also to make sure it wasn't poisoned. Mm. <laughs> and so it's a was, risky gig. <laughs> oh, very risky gig. But it was also a very high position. So we shouldn't think of the cupbearer as like a lowly servant who was the sucker who would taste the poison first. Mm. A cupbearer mm. would also be one of the royal advisors to mm. the pharaoh. Well, it's a highly trusted position because mm. all, all you have to do is go, yeah, the wine that you're about to drink is fine. You slip a bit of poison in. Yourself, yeah. So, And they're completely trusting you going, well, you didn't keel over and die when I saw you drink it. So it mustn't be poisonous, you know. And is there a contrast in, because when I think of a baker, I don't think of someone as high, like in a high up role. I think of like someone low as a baker as high up as a cupbearer. Similarly, like the baker was the person in charge of the royal bakery, so providing food for the pharaoh. Um, but mm-hmm. it is mostly thought that similar to the cupbearer, they were also some type of advisor. Okay. Yeah, you wouldn't necessarily think a baker as a high up advisor. No. no. I mean, one of the big questions which it doesn't actually answer is what did they do to end up in jail? <laughs> yep. Something that offended pharaoh, which really could mean anything. It could be. It could really mean anything. Anyone that's in a position of power like that and just one one dirty look and just you're gone yeah it could have been a bad joke through to like planning a coup like we, mm, we, we it, just don't know no a sneeze in the wrong direction <laughs> <laughs> into the cup <laughs> <laughs> so the the title joseph interprets two prisoners dreams the prisoners the cupbearer and the baker just to clarify yes yes 
because they've offended the Pharaoh, but now they're thrown into prison. Yeah, right. And why is Joseph the one to interpret these dreams? Is he just, do they just rely on that he's done it before they think he can interpret these dreams well now or? No, so no one has yet seen Joseph interpret any dreams. Even us as readers of scripture, we've had Joseph explain that he's had dreams to his family, but he didn't interpret them either. Mm. Mm. But we'll see that as Joseph is the person in charge of the prison, he comes to these two men, he sees that they look really worried and upset, they tell him his dreams, and then he literally says, don't interpretations belong to the Lord? So he could tell you the dreams. And so Joseph, as someone who believes in Yahweh, thinks that only God can interpret dreams, but as a follower of Yahweh, uh, he's sure that Yahweh could reveal that to him. Mm. Mm -hmm. So Joseph is the spokesperson for Yahweh. Mm. Yes. Very much so. And I also want us to notice that there are two dreams here. Mm. And in chapter 37, we also saw two dreams by Joseph. And in chapter 41, we will see two dreams by Pharaoh. Mm. And in chapter, once we hit chapter 41, I'll explain the significance. But just notice <laughs> it while we're there. Oh, he's not gonna give, you're not going to give us the explanation now? <laughs> it's, it's like a chapter away. You'll be okay. So we get one interpretation, which is going to be really great. Mm, really positive. Um, really good for the cupbearer. Mm-hmm sort of saying that, well, you're going to be reinstated in three days and you'll be back in your position and all will be fine. But for the baker, back you get reinstated in three days and impaled. Yes, hung on a tree. In other words, you will be executed followed by exposure, mm, so which that... was a way of stopping people from entering the afterlife was the oh. thought process there. Oh, okay. Not a show of force if you will a like public display of like this is like if you mess up this is the consequences potentially that was part of it yeah but there was also the belief at this time that unless you were properly buried you would wander it uh, for eternity rather yep. than resting in the afterlife yeah and so just being left on a tree until mm. there was no remains left was a very very bad way to go out yeah that's really disgusting <laughs> Yeah, yeah, fair. Executions have never been a particularly pleasant thing. (laughs) So in verse 20, it says on the third day, which was Pharaoh's birthday. I feel like the word birthday isn't common in the Bible, but I just wanted to know, is there significance in why Pharaoh's birthday is in there? I'm guessing the only significance is that was the day that it happened. I'm sure that as a king, he celebrated his birthday and there was probably a lot of festivities And we know from the Jesus story that often during festivities, it was the time that a ruler might forgive or pardon the crimes of those Mm. who've done some things in because they're in a joyous, celebrative mood. And so potentially the only significance is the fact that it was his birthday and that's why there was festivities and that's why he decided to forgive one person of their crimes. Because, yeah, I would argue that if it wasn't his birthday, they probably wouldn't have been released from prison. I think like I think it's it's put in that it's your it's his birthday for a reason for that very reason that the festival was the reason why he was did it. He was feeling particularly joyous. Yeah, and he went bring those two people that offended me. One of them I'm forgiving. It's my birthday. Why not the other one? I've thought about what you did. Yeah. <laughs> Time to die. Which I when I was reading it, I was thinking about like hearing Joseph's interpretation. And then also hearing that I will be put to death in three days. Mm. Like that that feeling of like, do you believe him? Are you then immediately going to quit? Like you would immediately question it. Oh, you'd, go, you'd want to question oh, it. Oh, 100%. Like I would immediately just want to throw it out the window and be like, nah, I, you're, you're completely wrong here. Like I can't imagine someone coming up to you 
interpreting your dream and going, we're well, going to die in three days. And it's like, what? No, you're crazy. <laughs> but yep. then Pharaoh in three days having the party and then sort of bringing them back up, I would then start start to have those feelings of, oh, maybe he was right. And like the, the pure dread. <laughs> yep. But then on the other side, the guy who is now freed and reinstated and that as the passage ends, but he forgot about Joseph. Like, just brutal. The guy who told you, hey, three days you will be reinstated and survive, he's totally forgotten about instantly. Mm. It's poor Joseph. Getting a rough go at it at the moment. Yeah. Mm. Or Baker. (laughs) Yeah, I guess. Yeah, true. (laughs) Like, like what was the offence that the Baker did that was so great? I feel like just because he got to go to the feast, he was probably like, I got away with this, like, I'm not going to die. It's not true. And then, bam. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Again, we just do not we, know. No, we have no idea. <laughs> we can only speculate. And then to before 40, going into 41, it's like a two-year gap. Mm. What happened in that two? Obviously, we don't know, but, like, you just wonder what happened in that two years. Joseph continues to sit in prison. Mm. And mm. probably wondering if the cupbearer had mentioned him at all. <laughs> <laughs> just for context, I want to remind us that this says two full years has passed, but it's actually been 13 years for Joseph now since he was originally sold into slavery. And so he's now actually a 30-year-old man instead of the brash 17-year-old teenager yeah. who was sold into slavery. It's a long time. Mm. Yeah, almost half his life yeah. now and has been in Egypt. I think it's really gross that the cows ate the cows. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, Pharaoh has this weird dream where seven gross, ugly cows eat seven healthy-looking cows. You don't mm. think the 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 bales, the bales or um, clumps of wheat eating another clump of wheat is gross? Uh, wheat isn't as gross as cows, no. Josh. I just can't imagine a cow eating a cow. Like I don't know. It's just you don't eat your own kind <laughs> all there the time. Are many animals that would disagree. Did you just say all the <laughs> That's time? That's why I say all the time. <laughs> I that mean, concerns me. <laughs> it is a dream and dreams can be all weird and wacky. I'm sure we've had our fair share of like mm. just you've dreamt of something that just couldn't possibly happen in this world. And we see the amount of seven again and I'm not sure if there's any significance around why it's seven. But... Yeah, a lot of significance around seven actually. And so just to take a quick step backwards, Pharaoh has two dreams. In these dreams, the number seven comes up a lot. And as Joseph will explain to us later, the seven in these dreams indicate seven years. So it's seven good years with the seven good cows, seven good years with the the seven bits of grain or bits of wheat, followed by seven bad years represented by the seven ugly, hungry-looking cows, and then seven bad years also represented by the the bad-looking, scorched bits of grain. Mm. And sort of the order of like, well, you've got the healthy cows and then the malnourished cows eating the healthy cows is is sort of telling us the timeline of events mm. like it's important that like those details are correct because as joseph reveals through the help of god well god's mm-hmm. actually revealing it to him yep and joseph is then relaying this message onto pharaoh that you have the good years first the healthy mm-hmm. cows the good grain and which will by getting eaten by the scrawny thin cows the not so great grain is like the famine is going to come through and Mm -hmm. take away all that prosperity yep but initially yes no one can interpret this dream of pharaohs no it says he got all his magicians and wise men in and they just couldn't do it i had the word magicians highlighted in this section because now like i thought magic wasn't a very christian thing like it's frowned upon a bit 
Yep. So were magicians normal back then or? So we don't want to confuse the word magicians here with like a modern illusionist. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, they pick a card, any card. <laughs> this would have been some type of like cultic priest whose job was to interpret omens and signs and maybe do things that we traditionally would call magic. So in the Exodus story, the magicians of Pharaoh's court managed to copy Moses's first two miracles. Mm. And so there's definitely some type of supernatural element going on. But yeah, in Christianity, it's mag- magic is seen as negative because the only source of supernatural power that is good comes from God. Mm. It's like that whole thing of like, well, where are you putting your power? Are you putting it to something else or are you putting it to God? Mm-hmm. Oh, more precisely, where is it coming from? Where is it coming from? Is the yeah. source of your power the Lord creator of the universe or is it a dark evil source? Mm. And these would have been people that like 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 the the spiritual advisors, mm-hmm. if if you yes. will, in, in terms of the the court. And Pharaoh would have been like turning to them and was like, "Well, I need answers from you. You're meant to give me answers of like the spiritual and the mystic and all of that." Mm-hmm. Mm. And yet they can't. I wonder if one or two of them tried to just make it up. Because mm. we know in the time of Nebuchadnezzar, to fast forward a thousand years further on into the Bible, that he was worried that his magicians and wise men would make up an interpretation. And so he told them that, no, you need to tell me what dream I had mm. and also the interpretation, which obviously none of them could do until Daniel, the Hebrew, rocks up and does the same thing again. And we have some pretty nice parallels between <laughs> the story of Joseph and the story of Daniel. Well, I'd be worried if to to say I don't know. It's like if I was in that position, mm. I wouldn't say I don't know because that would ruin all of my credit. <laughs> That's literally your job yeah, is to know. Is, is to know. And so even like making something up if you just had to you could sort of like weave your way in and out or like spin what you know spin whatever whatever it is like and this is coming from us knowing that like god is our higher power Mm. and and he's the power that we should trust yeah i it's interesting because i would imagine they would give some sort of interpretation or, or something but pharaoh doesn't believe it and like so for whatever they said pharaoh doesn't have a bar of it or is still looking for those answers. And then the cupbearer finally remembers. <laughs> Where were you two years ago, cupbearer? <laughs> He's probably like triggered us. <laughs> well, the, the cupbearer actually says, like speaking about being triggered, he says, today I have been reminded of my failure. Mm. Like he he's remorseful of it he actually realizes that he didn't actually up, uphold his end of the bargain of what he said he was going to do but he does it now he does and so they said for joseph they make him shave because mm. the egyptian custom was to be fully shaved at all times and so all egyptians would not have the beautiful beards that we are growing josh <laughs> hang on <laughs> <laughs> egyptians wouldn't have a bar of facial hair but unlike joseph's culture that he grew up in like the hebrew culture is one where you wouldn't shave almost ever and so they would very much have long scraggly beards like ourselves <laughs> <laughs> i like to think it's quite nice this is yeah my yours win- is better than mine this is my win- my winter coat at the moment can't relate <laughs> <laughs> no oh okay weird <laughs> <laughs> It also, like, to me reading that, it was like, did, like, Joseph have any, like, form of, like, gro- like grooming whilst in prison? Like, you know, mm. was it was it also that bad that, like, you know, he had to sort of get cleaned up just to be in front of Pharaoh? The impression I get from prison movies is you don't want people with blades in there. So shaving might have been hard. Yeah, that's true. But again, Egyptian custom was mm. yes. a good, clean look is what they were after. Mm. 
And you don't want to you don't want to offend Pharaoh. No. And it's great that in verse sixteen, Joseph again is saying, "It is beyond my power mm. to interpret this. It's beyond my power to do what you are asking me to do." And gives credit to God. Yeah. You could easily have said, "Well, yes, I actually can, you know, do it." But no, he's he's saying, "Well, it's all God that's doing it. He's the one that's interpreting your dream. He can tell you what it is, but through Joseph." Mm. Mm. And this is where I'll bring us back to the previous point about why the two dreams. Joseph here says that the dream has come in two forms to prove that A, it is from God and B, that God has totally decided that this is the course of action. There's no changing his mind. And so when we think back to the other sets of two dreams that have happened earlier in the book of Genesis, we can infer the same thing backwards, that these were dreams given by God to demonstrate things that were going to happen that he had totally decided his mind on. I like how in verse 33, after interpreting the dream, it says, Therefore Pharaoh should find an intelligent and wise man to be put in charge of the entire land of Egypt. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Yeah, so this might be I am intelligent and wise. (laughs) Yeah, I don't know how to read that verse. I don't know whether that's Joseph giving like genuine advice or whether that's Joseph being like, oh, here's my chance. Yeah, it's like, did you you see what I did with the captain of your guard? (laughs) Or is Joseph really being humble and like, you should find someone that is very suitable for this job? Because if it's not done well, that seven years of famine is going to ruin all of this. Yeah. And Joseph's suggestions were well received. <laughs> yes. And Pharaoh decided that Joseph is going to be the man. Interestingly, he says, this is one in whom is the spirit of God, which is interesting coming from the lips of a pagan like Pharaoh. Hmm. I wonder like, what caused that like reaction, that change, that uh, crediting God there, even though it's pagan man who's got his own egyptian gods i think we have to read it as pharaoh speaking from his religious outlook yeah which is whatever god or gods he was referring to he thinks joseph is empowered Mm. but he probably didn't have any concept of the true god the god of the hebrews yahweh yeah so he was just saying it from his worldview but we as readers of the bible can look at that statement and go actually pharaoh was accurate there Mm. Like, the Spirit of God does rest upon Joseph. Yeah. Seems too easy that, like, he just picked Joseph. Like, he interpreted <laughs> the dreams and, like, excellent, great. But, like, you know, maybe it was God nudging Pharaoh in the right direction of, like, pick pick, pick Joseph or Pharaoh had prior knowledge of Joseph's um, achievements while enslaved. You have to remember that all of his own wise men and magicians had failed at this task. Mm. And so... By providing an interpretation, Joseph had instantly proved himself wiser and more intelligent than almost all of his own advisors. Mm. Like he'd already brought the smartest people in the land before him to get an interpretation. Yeah. And so with one act, I think, I don't think he knows anything else about Joseph apart from he's just proved himself smarter than all of his smart guys. True, true. Because I could imagine like those who were where Joseph was being held, like held captive or like, so like in prison. And then also as like part of the captain of the guard, the captain of the guard and the like whoever was in charge of the prison probably would have taken the credit for how well it was all going rather than saying, well, it was actually one of my slaves that did all this, you know? Mm-hmm. So yes, I could imagine that Pharaoh had no idea who he was, but if someone like that came around, if I was Pharaoh, I would want to keep Joseph around, mm-hmm. like regardless of like putting him in charge of it or someone like that, you keep close. Yeah. I just kept thinking, I bet the brothers are regretting their choice now. 
<laughs> they will come to. We will get to that part of the story. That, that, that might be foreshadowing something. <laughs> <laughs> to come, to come. I like the um to put a gold chain around his neck and made him ride in the second chariot. Like I just thought that was like humbling. <laughs> mm. What do you mean by humbling? Because it's actually the exact opposite. It's uplifting. It's putting this man in the second <laughs> spot of all of Egypt. No, but like why isn't he riding in the first one with the first person? So the first you know? chariot is Pharaoh's own chariot. Yeah, so why can't he go like in the passenger seat? Let's go get in the second one. <laughs> I don't know if that's exactly how chariots work in Egypt. <laughs> yeah. Because to be put in the second chariot has just elevated him to the second most important man in the entire kingdom. And Literally half an hour ago, he was in prison. <laughs> fair, fair point. <laughs> and then Pharaoh calls Joseph's name Zapathenethapene. Perfect pronunciation. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> well, you did better than me. <laughs> what, Zap- Zap- what a name. That Feels is... like a combination of names just mushed together that he couldn't decide on. <laughs> that is quite a name. There is no agreement by scholars about what this name means. And so the three kind of top options are God has spoken and he lives is what the name could mean. Another person suggests that it means he who knows things (laughs) is what it means. And finally, the option is Joseph, who we call Pania, is sort of like the vibe of the name. I like the first two. Yeah, yeah, they're a bit more fun. Yeah. Anyway, scholars are very divided because there's just no knowledge about what this name actually means. Mm. But it's an Egyptian name. Yes. And so he's taken the Hebrew name away from him mm. and given him a name appropriate to the culture. And in a way, it's not necessarily stripping him of identity, but we're go- we're creating a new identity for mm. him. And he also, Pharaoh bestows Joseph a wife. Mm. Yes. And she is from the priests, like from a line of priests. Mm. And we know what her name means. Her name is she belongs to Neith, which was the name of an Egyptian goddess. And her father's name is he whom Ra has given. Mm. So they're very, like, very Egyptian religious. Yeah. Like very involved in the Egyptian religion, Mm. marrying Joseph, a follower of Yahweh. That would have been an interesting household Mm. of, like, the two sides of the family. And how that would have all sort of gone about, sort of like who, like who are you praising? Yeah, whose religion do you raise the kids in? Kids in, and and you know, Joseph's also been given a new, new name, sort of uh, new status, sort of new identity here, and it's almost sort of potentially ushering him into being completely becoming one of the Egyptian people, if that makes sense, which includes the Egyptian religion. Mm. But as also we see here, it's he's not going to take that on. Yeah, yeah. Just as a matter of more context, his new father-in-law is a, a priest of On. Now, the city of On is what the Greeks would later call Heliopolis. Oh. So the city of the sun, it's a pretty famous Egyptian city. Yep. Oh, wow. So which which would be why it sort of links to the Ra. Mm. Yes. Yep. Yes, absolutely. That makes sense. And Joseph's looking after the land. He's mm-hmm. in charge of in charge of it all, keeping all the crops, taking what is it? Did you say ten percent? No, duh, more. More. Twenty percent. Take a fifth of the harvest. Fifth. Yes, twenty percent. There we are. We did the maths. <laughs> and he collects so much grain, and I love this verse that he stopped keeping records, <laughs> which feels like a very unwise, unintelligent, unwise thing to do. 
Mm, it's a bit the sort of almost like the arrogance slipping in, like you're you know like overly confident mm. that you will have enough here. Yeah, it's interesting because you've jumped to that being a comment on Joseph's character, whereas the way I initially read it was. The land of Egypt was so abundant that through no fault of his own, there was no physical way for a human to keep track of all the the sheer amount of food coming True, in. True, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's the other way of looking at it, yeah. Mm. Which is to the credit of the dream yeah. of saying that, like, you know, you will have plenty. Yes, for seven years, for seven abundance. Years. Mm. <laughs> and speaking of abundance, he has two kids. <laughs> <laughs> And we were just talking about a wonder who was winning in the fight between Egyptian wife, Hebrew father. Mm. They both end up with very Hebrew names. Mm-hmm. And so Manasseh means forget. In other words, God has helped him forget the misery of the separation from his family. Mm. And then his second son, Ephraim, means fruitful. In other words, God has made him fruitful in this new land. Mm. I feel like we can often forget about, you know, the the torment, the torture, and just how hard it would have been for Joseph, especially in those mm. early years. But then even like just living his life, like he's like now 30 and he's been there for quite a while now mm-hmm. of like, that is something you probably like his brothers taking him away and selling him off. That's something you don't forget about. That trauma, I guess, would have probably stayed with him for so long. And, you know, he does say that, like, you know, by naming his his child, like he's... So we sort of get those hints that, yes, he was miserable. Um, and, yes, it would have been quite hard for him. But we, we tend to sort of, like, look at the, the prosperous Joseph here. Mm. Rightly so, because God is with him. Um, and despite the misery of your brothers betraying you and all that has happened being put into slavery and prison. Like despite those hardships, God is still with him. Just to prove that first point about how hard it would have been for Joseph, this is what Psalm 105 verses 18 and 19 says. Joseph sold as a slave. They bruised his feet with shackles. His neck was put in irons till what was foretold came to pass till the word of the Lord proved him true. Mm. And so later parts of scripture will really think about the pain and suffering that Joseph went through. Mm. Just returning to his two children, as you think through the 12 tribes of Israel, do you recall anyone ever being from the tribe of Joseph? Is this a trick question? This is absolutely a trick question, but try and answer anyway. Um... Have a hint. (laughs) (laughs) The hint is the answer. (laughs) The answer is... That's not helpful. What's the first letter? (laughs) Here's why I asked this question. Well, this is how I raised the topic, is when you think about the tribes of Israel, you never hear any mention of the tribe of Joseph. And Mm. that's because those tribes are known as the half-tribe of Manasseh and the half-tribe of Ephraim. Mm. And that's because Joseph made such an impact that he effectively gets two tribes named after him when we think about the tribes of Israel, but they're only half-tribes, so that, that way there's still 12. Yeah. As we get towards the end of 41, we actually see the, the dream play out. As we were sort of talking about before, the land is bountiful, is plentiful. We get lots of crops in, grain and storehouses overflowing. But then also we see the famine go through the land. But all that planning and preparation is key here and everyone is able to still survive. And they get told to go to Joseph and do whatever he tells you to do. Mm. 
The cool thing about the story now moving to an Egyptian context is that we can now look at Egyptian records oh. and see what they have to say about some of the events that are occurring in this chapter. That's cool. I never even thought of that. Yeah. So the first thing we see is that they found a bunch of documents in a Egyptian tomb and within these documents there was proof of non-Egyptians who reached this higher position of the Egyptian government before, like previously, mm. of like people who were the vizier over all of Egypt but not Egyptian themselves. And so for instance there's quite a famous one by the name of Hur, H-U-R, who was a non-Egyptian who basically reigned over Egypt but wasn't the pharaoh. Um, Another interesting thing is that twice in the recorded record of the history of Egypt is that that they had a famine so severe that they had to resort to cannibalism. Oh, wow. And so just a little bit of Egyptian history and documentation can help shine light on some of the events that's going on here. Yeah, right. So it's good that Joseph was there, otherwise this... Like, you know, the Egyptian people, it could have really turned badly <laughs> Yeah. if there's documentation of um, cannibalism. Yes, at least twice in their history because of famine. Mm. You know, it's like, it's almost like God's sort of working not only like with Joseph and the Hebrew people, but anyone, like obviously anyone in contact with Joseph is blessing, but God's almost saving the Egyptian people as well. Yeah. In a way. Yeah. I, yeah. He really, really is. Mm. That's cool. I like how we've, we've got that, that documentation. Mm. Mm. And to jump off that thought, he's not just saving the Egyptian people. We know that this is going to be the very means he's going to use to save the family of Jacob, to save all of Israel, because there's not just a famine in Egypt, all all over the world. Mm. Now, I think we can all safely agree that this is all over the known world. Yep. So the areas around Egypt, so we don't need to fight or argue about how big the world is. <laughs> but all of Palestine, all of Canaan, where... Joseph's father was still living to this day with the rest of his family, was also in famine, Mm. which is probably the nicest lead-in we'll ever have to look at chapter 42. I'm excited for 42 because of what I said before about the brothers, what they'd be thinking now. Mm. So, Yeah. yeah. There's almost a sense of irony in the fact that Joseph names one of his kids forget, like God has made me forget my miseries, and Mm. yet the moment he names his kid that, his brothers suddenly rock up in Egypt. Yeah. Um, interesting that Joseph recognised his brothers, but they did not recognise him. Mm. They'd obviously all look quite different, but you'd still think you'd recognise your own blood. Yeah, you've got to remember it's been about 20 years since he last saw his brothers, and he was 17 at the time, and people look quite different between 17 and 30. He probably mm. would have looked quite Egyptian as well. In his dress, mm. in his clean-shavedness. Yeah. yeah. In many ways, he would have looked very Egyptian. And when you're sort of, you're not, the brothers aren't going out to like actively seek out Joseph. So mm. when you're not like like mm. going out to seek someone out, you're not really in the mode of like ready to recognize them mm. as, as well. So they're, they're just like doing the custom and bowing before them and before him and just really just there to get grain. Yeah. And I, there to know, get food so they yeah. can survive. And also the fact that all 10 of them rock up. It's probably, even if Joseph didn't fully recognise one or two because of the 20 years, I'm sure there'd be something very distinctive about his 10 brothers as a group appearing Mm. before him. Mm. Yeah. And interestingly, when they bow down before him, that's when he remembers his dream. Mm. And so that dream sort of coming true. Mm. That they, um, what is it, the the bales of wheat 
uh, yes, bowing, bowing before him. Bowing before him, and the brothers are now bowing before him, which is the first dream. Not to not to say anything about the second dream yet, because that will come later. Yeah, well, I think that's what he thinks. He looks at this situation and goes, this is really similar to mm. my dream, but I'm missing a brother and I'm missing my father, who should also be bowing before me based on the dreams that I had. Yeah, but I like how Joseph almost, I don't know, I see this as Joseph sort of toying with them. Mm. Um, so you must be spies after asking them where you're from. Have you come to see how vulnerable our land is? I think it's more than that. And it comes through a bit more in the following chapters, which we'll look at next episode. But it's almost like he's testing to see if they've at all changed. Mm, He's testing to see, are these the same 10 men who sold me into slavery or have they changed in some way? Mm. And what he will slowly discover and start to see is that they are very different people. Mm. And at this point, like him realizing who they are, he has all the power just Mm -hmm. to wreak his revenge which he starts to do because he throws them in prison for three Mm. days which is almost like the complete reversal of what they did to him so they're starting or he is starting to take revenge on them why do you think he chooses not to say like i know who you are or what are you doing here it's like i said before i think he is testing them he's trying Mm. to figure out have you at all changed is there anything about you that is different or worthwhile or salvageable about our relationship before he fully reveals himself. Because it's probably easier just to live, well, multiple things, probably easier just to live your current like high status life without them ever knowing. And Mm. there's no sort of like real like weird family politics that then start to come up. But then also it's a power thing. Like if they don't know who you, you are, then they have no sort of potential leg up or they can sort of start mm. to bargain with you. Like they, if they, at the very beginning, if they find out who Joseph really is, they could be like, well, you're our brother, right? Then, you know, like we're family. Like, like can't you like either cut us some slack, throw in a bit more grain? Like, mm. you know, they could, they could probably try and start to use that to their advantage as well. So, you know, probably multiple things. Yeah, being anonymous, I think, grants Joseph a lot more power in this situation. As simple as they're talking to each other in Hebrew and he's using a translator, (laughs) but he can totally understand what they're saying. Yeah, it's like like they have no idea that I know what they're saying. (laughs) Yeah, for instance, they start to lament Reuben says this misfortune is because we mistreated our brother like we sinned against God and now God is getting not revenge he's now getting justice on us because of our sins and this this statement causes Joseph to weep like he he quickly excuses himself and goes and cries because he's starting to see that his brothers are different he's still not quite ready to reveal himself but he's seeing that they they have great sorrow for what they did to him why does Joseph give the orders to fill their bags with grain and replace every man's money in their sacks? So theoretically, the brothers have just used their money to buy this grain. So given the grain makes sense. But then Joseph decides to strike more fear into them. So by putting the money back in their sacks, it would make it look like they had stolen from Egypt. Like mm. they still have the money and they have the grain they were meant to spend the money on. And then even more than that, I think as they return to their father, now missing Simeon because Joseph has kept Simeon, Mm. it gives the impression that the brothers might have sold Simeon for cash, which is exactly what they did to Joseph. And so it's a real way of messing with them. Joseph really is still toying with them. Yeah. That's really smart. (laughs) Mm. He is the smartest in the land, the (laughs) wisest, the one Pharaoh should put in charge of things. (laughs) So they return home. 
Joseph's condition was, I'll release Simeon if you bring this so-called one remaining brother you have to me as proof that your story is true. And Jacob is not prepared to let go of Benjamin. He does not trust the brothers. He doesn't trust Reuben, who is saying that he will guarantee Benjamin's safety. And our chapter ends with just, there's absolutely no way you are ever returning to Egypt. I guess I've lost both Joseph and Simeon now, says Jacob. This is sort of like a real rollercoaster of a ride for Jacob. Mm. You know, you lose one son, your favorite son. Yep. And then there's another lost when you've, you know, the, the other brothers have, have gone out and they return with one, you know, one less mm. than they went out with. And like how distraught you would be as a father that you're, you're, you're sort of like, it's over a period of time, but you're, you're losing sons. Here. Mm. You're losing your kids. And then they ask you to trust them with your last son and who is by far the favorite now. Mm. Like Benjamin has fully replaced Joseph as the favorite child. Mm. Yeah. No. And do you, you know, you've been told that it's like, but can, like, can you go through that? Can you send, mm. send them off and like, and just hope that nothing will become of them? Well, that slash you will also get Benjamin back. So Morgan, one of the things Josh was very excited about last episode yes. was to get to experience the Joseph story through your eyes as someone who has never heard the Joseph story before. Mm. Now there is still more to the story and we'll read that next week, but sort of the most famous bit we've just covered in today's episode. So what are your thoughts, Morgan, on the Joseph story? I have mixed emotions. <laughs> it's very <laughs> random, very weird. But I'm a little bit proud of him, to be honest. <laughs> just keeping on, keeping on. Yeah, just a little bit proud. Yeah. He's made a difficult and real sucky situation. To, mm. and, and he's he's made like it quite good and prosperous. But as we've said before, he is keeping on giving God the credit. Um mm. and, and and God's been with him the entire time as well. You know, as we as we heard it was a hard journey for him. It wasn't. It wasn't a pretty one being um, enslaved, but God's been there the entire time. Yeah, and I want to skip us forward to Genesis chapter fifty, so the last chapter of Genesis, verse twenty, and this is what Joseph has to say: "You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done—the saving of many lives." The entire Joseph mm. story is meant to land us on that saying, mm. which is. Even though Joseph has gone through awful things in the chapters we've just read, God has used all of it for his purposes to save many lives. In mm. other words, God takes the bad that happens in this world and he uses it for good. Mm. And it's the same with our, our lives. You know, every, everyone here, everyone listening and watching, God will use our lives in the exact same way, the good and the bad. He will turn those situations and use it for his purpose. Mm. I just got a real like father-son vibe the whole time through Joseph's story. Like he didn't have his own dad around him the whole time or father, but he still made that relationship and had guidance. So I don't know. That's what I took away from some of it. Guidance from who? From God. Yeah. As in yeah. you're saying the father-son relationship is God and Joseph. Yeah. 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 Even though he's actual, like Jacob was absent for a lot of it and all the hardships, like he still had that guiding figure. Yeah. Mm. No, definitely. 100%. Continuing on in that space of, of wrapping up and reflecting over what we've just, just read, I think I think for all of us it's like God's always with us. Like that's a real obvious that's a real obvious one. But again, it's that giving for me it's giving God credit. 
Yeah. And, and, and not just saying that like, well, I've got the power to interpret dreams or yes, I've interpreted dreams in the past so I can do that. It's giving God the credit first. It's like it's through him I am able to do this. And I think, you know, we sometimes forget to give God the credit. We sometimes give him after the fact, but sometimes we don't give it him the credit before the fact. Mm. Mm. That's a great takeaway. I've already shared my final thought, mm. which is that the entire Joseph story is about the idea that God takes what was meant for harm and uses it for good. And so that is such an excellent message to realize about our God, because that is what he does. Mm. He's always there. He's always with us. And he'll use, he'll use all of it. Well, we've just shared our thoughts on what we, we got out of this passage, and we would love to hear your thoughts, some of you um, dear listeners and watchers. We'd love to know what you got out of this, any questions, any comments. And don't forget, at the end of our season, we have a Q&A. So those questions that are, may have come up throughout the entire book of Genesis as we've gone through it, we'd love to get your questions in so that we can dedicate one episode to answering them or to the best of our ability. So head over to our link tree there. You can see all our uh, social medias that you can go follow and keep up to date with us but also like last uh, season there will be a google form there for you to submit your questions and if you're on patreon we'll also put up a place there for you to ask your questions there and we'll be reading out those questions there as well and if you want to support us financially head over to patreon that way you can uh, stay up to date as we put updates there but you also get uh, extra content early episodes and extra long episodes so if you want to financially support us head over to patreon don't forget to share this podcast around because not only do we want this podcast to be shared with everyone, but we want the word of God to be able to be shared. How about I just end with a word of prayer? Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you. I thank you that we can gather here today and we can continue to discuss and dive into your word. We Again, we thank you for your servant Joseph, that no matter th through the hard times that he was put through, the bad, but also the good, you are there with him, Lord, and that we look to him him as he gave you credit and he praised you in everything that he did and lord we remember that you were there with him always lord and you were always there with us so lord we pray for the week ahead that you be with us and that you guide us in everything that we do lord in jesus mighty name i pray amen 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 morgan and Lockie, thank you thank you and thank you for everyone listening and watching and we'll see everyone next week bye 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 a Mustard Seed Creative Production.